Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's Nurse Leadership and Innovation Training Program, Clinical Scene Investigator Academy, with information available at aacn.org forward slash academy. Now, here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. This is Connie Barden, and I am so looking forward today to talking with my friend and colleague, Sarah Delgado, who works with me on staff here at AACN as a clinical practice specialist in the strategic advocacy team. So Sarah, welcome, and thanks a million for finding the time to talk to me today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Connie. I appreciate, I appreciate the invitation. Well, you know, we picked a really simple topic. It's that of uh, taking on the staffing challenge. So this ought to be quick and simple. (laughs) Um, But before we dive into that, I think it would be really great if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of your clinical journey. You're quite an experienced and well-known nurse and ACNP. So tell us a little bit about your clinical background. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner. Um, I spent the first part of my career I was a staff nurse in a general medicine telemetry unit and then in a medical ICU, and that was all in a big academic medical center on the East Coast. And then um, after I got my master's degree, I focused on the care of chronically ill adults. That's been sort of my consistent um, specialty here. And my most recent clinical role was providing transitional care and palliative care to patients after discharge. And that work was in a community-based hospital. So I feel like I'm kind of lucky. I've been able to do different things in different settings. And um, I've learned a lot from the breadth of patients that I've cared for. Very fortunate in that regard. Um, I haven't had a clinical role for the last six years because I've been working at AACN, as you know, as a clinical practice specialist. That's kind of your thing. And we are oh so happy that before the days of telecommuting very much, life brought you here to the West Coast and we were able to snag you at AACN and you've just been doing amazing work here with us. And the the work of the strategic advocacy team, I think, couldn't be more important than what it is right now. And I'm I'm just really grateful that you found time to um, tell us a little bit about it. So related to staffing, I know we've been working on staffing here at ASTN for years, and now we have this thing called the Partners for Nurse Staffing that's been formed. So what can you tell us a little bit about the history of ASTN and staffing work, and then move in and hearing a little bit more about the partners? As you know very well, Connie, healthy work environments is really um, the core of ASTN's advocacy. We know that we can improve uh, nursing care and make things better across the board for nurses and patients if we can address the things in the work environment that create unnecessary work that um, actually impede the delivery of safe and effective care. So through our surveys of nurses about the health of the work environment, we've identified repeatedly that staffing of the six standards, appropriate staffing is the least likely to be implemented. So that's the one that always gets the lowest grades on our survey. So staffing has been a priority issue for AACN for quite some time. And recognizing that this wasn't a challenge that we were going to meet as a lone entity, as a nursing organization, that it's really a challenge that requires um, work across multiple roles in healthcare. 
we uh, convened a partnership, as you said, of five different organizations. And that partnership brings together expertise in finance, in patient safety, brings together nursing leaders and also direct care nurses into a mix where we can um, really look at how to address this challenge. That is absolutely right. It's such a complex thing and certainly not a new one. So specifically, the organizations that we're working with are the American Nurses Association, ANA, AONL, American Organization Nursing Leadership, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, and also HFMA, who are the healthcare finance folks, CFOs and the like, which I think is really great. And I'm going to get you to tell us a little bit more about the think tank in a second. But let me ask you, are we all nurses talking to nurses or did we have some diversity in any of the group here in terms of thinking about this or will we have it in the future nurses talking to people other than nurses about this issue so within the partnership each of those organizations that you mentioned has representatives and i think one of the things that's really been beneficial is that partnership formed in 2017 but the membership the representatives have really been consistent through the years which is great the majority of the representatives are nurses. The representative from HFMA, as you mentioned, the Healthcare Finance Management Association, um, is not a nurse. He's a finance expert. So we do have some diversity there. In the work we've done as a partnership, that includes convening the think tank, as you mentioned, and the task force. And we've engaged folks who are not nurses but bring other sets of expertise in that work as well. So I think that's an important point. Just a couple of examples. We have patient advocates in the work because that's a perspective that needs to be considered as we're thinking about new ways of delivering care and ways to address staffing deficits. We've also included, in addition to the finance experts, we've included folks with expertise in human resources and other um, backgrounds that also can contribute novel thinking to approach this challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think what we often say is this isn't just nursing's issue. If it's a nursing issue, it's a healthcare issue. And um, it's really great that we've been broad in uh, the folks that we've chosen. So we started ASIN like in earnest, like really digging deep, started our work in 2017, really focusing on staffing. And we were working with these partners for quite a while, as you said, and then COVID. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you, how would you say COVID has impacted this work, perhaps the urgency of this work, where we're headed now, stuff like that? I think there's two areas of impact in relation to COVID that I think are important to highlight. So the challenges that make staffing such an urgent and important priority for us, there's a lot of factors, and most of those factors were exacerbated. By COVID. Mm. You know, as an example, the attrition or turnover of nurses, we know that turnover has gone up in the last three years since COVID hit, and turnover was already something that was contributing to understaffing and inappropriate staffing as a phenomenon. Another aspect is the match. You know, we define appropriate staffing at ASN as the match between patient uh, need and nurse competency. And with the pandemic, a lot of nursing students didn't get the full range of clinical experience that they would have gotten if there hadn't been closure of clinical sites and, and efforts to reduce the spread of COVID. So that meant that nurses are graduating with less clinical experience. So we've exacerbated 
that part of the problem too, that match between nurse competency and patient need is, is made even harder to achieve by those changes in education that COVID caused. So those are just two examples, but I think across the board, COVID has made this a more urgent problem because it's made all the factors that contribute to it, you know, magnifying those issues. For us as a partnership, when COVID hit, all of our organizations had to pivot a little bit towards directly supporting their members um, and their communities with pandemic response. Here at ACN, while we still knew that there were um, structural issues and system level issues that contributed to staffing, when the pandemic hit, we moved to creating resources about how do you staff in a search? What does team nursing mean and how do you do that? So we we really had to shift our approach because we knew that there was an urgent need for a specific kind of content among the members of our community. I think those are two of the ways in which in which COVID hit. It sort of stalled our work as a partnership because we all had to move to other areas and had this effect of, of magnifying the existing underlying issues. Yeah, like everything else, it seems in healthcare and sort of, I guess, in the world, it kind of blew up everything, right? I mean, talk about total disruption in life and so forth. And and that's exactly here, too. Things aren't new, but they're different and they are hugely exacerbated compared to what they used to be. And we'll probably talk a bit more about that. Let's get to a little bit the punchline of the think tank, because the way that it went down is we created the think tank first to create some recommendations that will feed what's going on right now as we speak. You and I are recording this in August of 2022, and that there's a thing called the task force that has begun subsequent to the think tank. But what you're going to share with us today is some of the outputs from the work of the think tank. So what uh, can you tell us about the overview of that work and what was produced? So just to clarify, the idea for the task force, which, as you said, is ongoing right now, that idea actually came from our colleague, Linda Cassidy, and she um, suggested it with the observation that we could use other strategies that have been applied with success to other big issues in healthcare. So, for instance, the ANA has done some incredible work on racism in nursing, and we were able to see some of the process they used, and we thought that could really be adapted to staffing. So that's where the task force was born. But as we were doing the work to prepare for the task force, we had a sort of epiphany around, you know what, we can't wait. This is so urgent. We need to do something now and figure out what the short-term solutions are that can be implemented in the near term to support nurses who are facing understaff shift after understaff shift. That's what the think tank is. So the think tank was born from that urgency, that sense of urgency. And this very focused charge to the think tank was to develop recommendations that can be implemented over a 12 to 18 month timeframe to improve staffing in acute and critical care. That's the mission of the think tank. Um, the task force work is ongoing and is more looking at the structural underlying system level change that is needed to ensure that appropriate staffing is the norm and not the exception. So the think tank convened for three months. We met every other week, every two weeks. Um, it was a wonderfully diverse and deeply committed group. I cannot express my gratitude to that group enough because they were volunteering their time and giving their expertise very generously 
to help us sort through what are the specific priorities and then what are the action steps to address those priorities. And then the, the final document includes measurable outcomes as well as specific audiences so that we really try to provide a blueprint that um, users can adapt to their environment and apply to their work. That does sound like a huge amount of work. And folks were volunteering their time still in the midst of the pandemic to do this. So mm -hmm. what are some examples of some of the outputs of this work from the think tank? What are some of the things folks came up with that could be implemented? We identified six priority areas in our work. The first and actually the one that received the highest number of votes when we were looking at what the priority should be was the health of the work environment. So that was a very clear underlying factor that was something that can be addressed in 12 to 18 months. You can yeah. begin to take steps to improve the health of the work environment. So um, that was one area. And then the other five, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion taken together. The stress injury continuum, which speaks to nurse well-being, the need for flexible scheduling, the need to look at total compensation, and then finally, innovative care delivery models was the sixth area. We divided the work among those priorities, and we have specific action steps within each of those priorities, specific recommendations, and then action steps within each of those priorities. Very interesting. And I'm thinking, gosh, if I was a staff nurse, I'd say, but yeah, so just give me more nurses and so forth. And what I'm deducing from this is that what the group had the wisdom to see is that staffing is about more than just numbers, mm -hmm. that we couldn't limit the view to there need to be the right amount of numbers, that we have to get the work environment right, no matter how many nurses you have, if the work environment is disrespectful, unprofessional, non-collaborative, et cetera. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Outcomes are not going to be good. Um, we got to take care of nurses. We have to schedule in ways that work for people. We have to pay fairly. We have to be transparent with pay, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds to me like a comprehensive approach rather than just a one-stop shop, so to speak. We were broad and we were comprehensive. We knew from studies that when you bring in more nurses and you don't improve the work environment, then you don't have as much effect on patient outcomes. And in addition, it may not even feel like you have more staff if the work environment is unhealthy. The lack of collaboration and the lack of communication mean that you spend more time on things uh, that are not related to patient care. So the health of the work environment is paramount in our staffing. The way in which our recommendations do touch on numbers, as you said, is uh, a recommendation within the healthy work environment section of the document um, that standards for staffing be identified by um, professional nursing organizations. The recommendation specifically is that Professional nursing organizations, and this is specialty nursing organizations such as AACN, examine staffing standards for the patient populations they serve. And the idea behind that is that the specialty nursing organizations know the population and their needs better than anyone. They know what kind of resources those nurses need. So having those groups take an active role in establishing staffing standards 
was the recommendation of the think tank. Brilliant. So what we've got here in terms of comprehensive, like we said, the number of people matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. Probably the composition of that number of people matters, not just are in other people, but skill level, years of experience, et cetera, et cetera, of those nurses, that all matters. In other words, as we've all said all our lives, a nurse isn't a nurse, isn't a nurse. So who is there working on a given day? So the numbers matter, as do all of these other supportive things that create an environment in which care can be delivered safely. And in fact, in the innovative care delivery models, there's some specific action steps around assessing what you have in your environment. You look at if this is an environment that has advanced practice nurses, for instance, are we leveraging their contribution to the full extent? How can we be sure their job description and their day-to-day role is really being used to the maximum ability to contribute to patient care? If it's an environment in which there are assistive personnel or or LPNs working, how can we make that collaboration more effective and ensure that everybody's working at the top of their license? So I think that set of recommendations under care delivery model really speak to what you're talking about, which is sometimes called skill mix, right? Who do you have in front of you? So you have this pool of needs from the patients and you have this pool of resources. What are the ways that you line things up? And to really try to design care delivery models that fit with the resources you have in your work environment. Yeah, which means on any given unit, shift, hospital, whatever, it may not be one size fits all because Monday looks different than Thursday and Friday night is different from Sunday morning, depending who's there, A, and what kinds of patients you have on those shifts to take care of. When you think about all of those things, so scheduling, how we innovate, dealing with stress injury, the work environment, the numbers, all of that, if you just kind of got to be the one in charge, which guess what? You are right now because, you know, we're talking to you as the, as the expert about this. Do you have any that you think are most impactful or critical to moving this thing forward? You got any favorites or biases about that? I would say that that my favorite is the work environment and addressing Uh. the work environment. Whatever lens is used to look at the work environment, of course, you know, we have a lens for that. We have the standards for establishing and sustaining healthy work environments and an assessment tool. And and that's one way you can look at the work environment. There are other tools out there, too. But whatever process is applied to looking at the work environment and really thinking through what ways in which individuals can contribute, leaders and staff nurses, and everyone can contribute to creating a healthier work environment. I think just that process is important for establishing a baseline of we're all in this together. The work environment is not a static thing. It's not even a thing. It's a compilation of what everybody puts into it. So just developing awareness around that, I think, can influence staffing, but it also influences a lot of other areas. It certainly influences our ability to be inclusive and equitable, for instance, the health of the work environment. Yeah. And what we know is there are several instruments that can be used. I mean, we have a free one at AACN, but there's all kinds of things now, valid and reliable tools that people can use to measure the health of the work environment over time. So like everything else we do in healthcare, you need to get a baseline, right? How are we, blah, blah, blah. And then that helps to direct you 
where you need to go in terms of, of tweaking things around the work environment. Yeah, you and I sort of have the same bias about that. It's interesting to me that the group called out this issue of equity and diversity and inclusion. Tell us a little bit about that. How, what's the connection of diversity, inclusion, all that kind of stuff, and this challenge of staffing? How do you see that connection there? There's a couple of ways in which those things do connect. So we as a nursing workforce need to be representative of the communities that we serve in order to ensure that we're delivering effective care. Ensuring that we have a diverse workforce that is representative of patients is a key strategy to ensuring appropriate staffing and that we have the competence to meet patients' needs. So that's one way in which it ties in. We also know that we have Commission on Racism that ANA has has convened and, and released work on. We know that nurses, particularly nurses of color, have been discouraged from seeking leadership positions or maintaining a role in healthcare. And that is to our detriment on so many levels. It affects not only the quantity of care we can provide, but also the quality of care that sure. we can provide. So attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion was a clear priority in the think tank's work. I think one of the things I really like about the recommendations related to that area was trying not to think about this as like something that a separate department does or that one person takes on and champions, but rather incorporating into all operations, decision-making, and especially leadership hiring questions about what's the role of race here? Or what's mm-hmm. the role of, of my innate biases related to other ways in which gender or sexual orientation or other ways in which people are marginalized in, in our current structure? What's the role that that's playing in, the, in this decision to really be cognizant that those biases could be playing a role? And then also um, think about how can we make every process more inclusive and more equitable? So it's not something that's extra. It's something that's really built into the structure. Building that in will lead to a more diverse and equitable workforce. Sure, absolutely. So it's something that improves, you said, the quantity and the quality of care. Well, that's like a no-brainer. We ought to be working on that. Yeah, we don't get things that are a double whammy like that very often. All right, I promised you I was coming back to the The hard one. So let me back up and remind the folks listening that one of the things you said that came out of the think tank, we're calling on the nursing specialty organizations to look at their role in recommending standards around staffing. And I know an example is A1, which is the women's health organization that I think has just released their second edition of these standards. They were way ahead the rest of us. But uh, what can you tell us about sort of that document, what you know about the A1 work, and then anything else perhaps that ACN's getting ready to do, or that you see as beneficial in this one challenging recommendation? That is a really challenging recommendation. And it was it was interesting to be part of the think tank and creating that recommendation and then saying, oh, we're telling ourselves to do this, <laughs> right? Because we are a specialty nursing organization, and now we need to get moving on how we're going to address that. So as you said, AWAN, the, the Women's Health Organization, has done a phenomenal job of addressing standards for staffing. They had a document that came out several years ago, and they released their second edition in May of 2022. And their work includes a table that lists 
different areas of perinatal care, so antepartum as well as postpartum, and then the actual delivery of the baby, and what the nursing resources should be, how many patients a nurse can take care of in those specific circumstances. So it's a very specific guideline. And the thing that's really nice about it is that the narrative of the document gives you the why. It explains the reason that the staffing needs to be at that level. What are the things that the nurse is expected to do in those different situations? So we had a great opportunity to talk to Cheryl Ross, who was one of the leaders of that work, and she is part of our task force. She was not part of the think tank, but she is part of the task force that's working right now. And she gave us some of her time to talk us through the process that they use to come up with their guidelines. Now, critical and acute care are very different from women's health in some ways. However, the process she described was one that we felt we really could replicate in terms of coming up with some standards. It's not about us as ACN people on staff coming up with the standards on our own. It's about us facilitating a process where members of our community can contribute their expertise and we can identify what staffing standards should look like. So I was grateful that Cheryl shared that process. I think we have some experience at ACN in terms of our scope and standards documents, which similarly leverage expertise from our community. We don't, we don't write those documents as staff members, we edit the documents based on the writing and the work of convened groups from our community. And I think we could follow a similar strategy in identifying staffing standards. Big work, because as much as you and I have talked about, there are all kinds of things that influence our ability to do staffing right, to get it right, to do high quality, safe and effective care. The numbers also matter. And what we've said, our president last year, Beth Wathan and Amanda Betancourt this year have said and reiterated, there is a point past which safe care cannot be delivered in terms of numbers. There is a point past which you cannot deliver safe care. Many people who are listening to this saw that, particularly during COVID. And uh, hopefully many people are moving out of that horrible dilemma that folks were placed in during surges and so forth. But we know, again, that both The environmental factors, as well as the numbers issue, is not new, and it hasn't gone away, and we're doing our work to see what we can do to improve that. So that's really important work that ASIN is undertaking. Sarah, let me ask you a question, because I'm listening to what you're saying about the work of the think tank was on a 12 to 18 months implementation plan. The task force is meeting now, and there's several more months to go in its work. If I'm a nurse listening to this podcast, And I'm not sure, well, oh my goodness, that's a long time to wait. What would you say to folks who are interested in knowing, well, what can I do now that will have an impact on this whole staffing thing? What would be your sage advice around that? One thing that folks can do is get their hands on this document, which is free, open access, the recommendations. And uh, a good way to find it is to go to the AACN website and under clinical resources, click on staffing. And from that page, there's a link that opens up the free PDF file of all of the recommendations that the think tank made. And I think if you download those and take a look, you'll find some that really resonate and are really within your sphere of control. Of course, some of those recommendations may not be within your sphere of control to directly influence. Specifically, just for example, there's under stress injury continuum, there's discussion of how we can help each other attend to our own well-being. 
leaders can build in questions about well-being into their evaluation process, their huddles, which begin to bring attention and demonstrate that that's an important part of staffing is taking care of ourselves so that we can be there for patients and showing that that's a priority by attending to it in routine conversations. Yeah, get busy looking for ways to be part of the solution. And the one you just made me think of too, is if you're in a place, it's not yet measuring, looking at the work environment, the measure of that, download the tool and uh, talk to leaders and, and start measuring what do people on our team think about the health of the work environment and what do we need to work on? And as you said, that tool is free on the ACM website as well. Wow, I could keep picking your brain, but that's not fair. You've got other things to do and folks listening also have other things to do. So let me just ask you, Sarah, you are one of the leaders of this work. You, our colleague, Linda Cassidy, as well as the leaders from the other organizations that that we've mentioned, ANA, IHI, AONL, and HFMA, you're one of those leaders who's uh, helping to make this groundbreaking work happen. Let's wrap up and have you end on what makes you hopeful? Because it would be so easy to be like just buried by the enormity of this work. But what makes you hopeful in being one of the leaders around this work? There is an enormous challenge. And it does seem to me that the more we scratch the surface on the issues that exist, the greater the complexity um, that is revealed. So there's a lot of complexity in this. And that is at times, as you said, disheartening, frankly, because it seems like the amount that we can control is small and the amount that we can't control is big and, and it has such an impact. So I've been so lucky to be part of this work and to sit in these groups and to talk to people and really to hear the sincere interest and commitment to making things better. That gives me great hope. So, you know, we have folks on the task force from regulatory agencies, also the finance folks. They really want things to be better too. No one is looking to make things worse. Though, of course, they represent different perspectives and they have uh, different angles on what the solutions should be. I really believe when I hear people in these groups talk that there is a common interest and commitment to improving the delivery of healthcare and improving our staffing. And that brings me to a place of hope. Yeah, because we are working with top leaders across the industry to do this. And I, I find that too people are very inspired. And I really want to thank you for sharing everything that you've, you've made it really clear, like the recommendations of the think tank and how that's feeding the current work of the task force. That it's not easy, that it's not only numbers, but numbers are important as well as all of these other things. And it's complex, but there's reason to be encouraged. And, and I think there is no better time than now. There's that, that saying that says, if not now, when? And if not us, who? And I think this is the work that you and Linda and others are helping to lead. It is the time. The problem has gotten exacerbated. And I'm proud that AACN and our colleagues are taking this on. And um, I would say to folks who are listening, stand by because we'll keep you updated as things progress. And uh, we'll continue to do good work to try and at least begin to wrestle this staffing thing to the ground. So Sarah Delgado, my colleague and friend, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Connie. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast. 
proudly sponsored by AACN CSI Academy with information available at aacn.org forward slash academy. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.